you're listening to Sore Hands Club, the Body Jewelry Makers Cast. I'm your host, Jared Carnes, and this is episode two, featuring Trevor Thomas of Black Lily Body Jewelry. This is a two-part episode. In part one, we talk about Trevor's evolution from body piercer to jeweler, his experience as a black man in the world of body modification, and brainstorm a more culturally vibrant and equitable industry where studio staff and clientele are more diverse, more opportunity exists for more jewelers, and anyone who contributes to the design of a piece gets a paycheck instead of a style name and a shout out. In part two, which I removed from the initial discussion and made its own file due to length, we discussed Trevor's acquisition and subsequent closing of the iconic studio Braindrops. This episode is sponsored by my friends at Suva Lapidary, a full-service lapidary supply offering a large selection of ready-to-ship essentials for cutting, carving, polishing, and tumbling stone, glass, and ceramic. Find their selection at suvalapidary.com. That's S-U-V-A lapidary.com. Before we begin, I must mention this episode contains significant explicit language and a trigger warning for discussion of racism and depressive themes. Trevor Thomas of Black Lily Body Jewelry, thank you for joining me on the Sore Hands Club podcast. Thank you for having me. It's absolutely a privilege to be here. And thank you for wanting to talk to me in the first place. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. So to start off, you're a piercer right now. Yeah, yeah. So the world is crazy. COVID is happening. It's the middle of the holidays. Everything is wild. How's life for you? What What's going on? It's busy. It's hectic. Um, I am store manager and a piercer mm-hmm. uh, at a studio here in Eugene. I work at a high priestess and we're busy. We're, we're consistently slammed, even with COVID going on. Oregon has been kind of lax in their, in their protocols, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of shocking because the state usually is so on the ball about health issues. Um, but it's, it's full service. We're offering everything, any piercings uh, under the mask, above the mask. Uh, so we're fairly consistently busy. We're allowed to function in the way that we feel most comfortable. You know, the studio provides everything that we need PPE-wise, but people are taking advantage of it. And in a good way, people are taking advantage of being open and we're booked. Appointments are yeah. real consistent. So That's fantastic to hear. You know, I'm, I'm not surprised, yeah. to be honest. The world has been crazy for everybody and people are just looking for a little bit of solace. Yeah. You know, piercing can provide that for them. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's something that was on hold for so long that people were really kind of pent up that they couldn't just follow their heart and do the things that they wanted to do. And I'm pretty sure we can agree that anytime there's any sort of like a restriction or any kind of a refrain, Mm. the minute that's lifted, people just run at it, you know, like gangbusters. They want to do the thing that they talked about for a year, you know, and they're just super excited to get in there and get that service. And it's been good. It hasn't slowed down. It's really good. It's good to be working with people again. Oh, uh, yeah, I bet. I'm really interested in knowing how you grew up and what led you to piercing and then to your eventual gig in body jewelry. But let's focus on the early years. I had what I thought was just like a really normal childhood. I'm sure we all 
you know, kind of are oblivious to the bigger world, and we think that our childhoods are all pretty standard. Uh, but they're not, you know, they're all our individual lived experiences. I grew up in a single-parent home, just my mom, my siblings. Uh, my mom was a working parent, so I had a whole lot of free time. You know, not a whole lot of rules, so I was pretty free to explore, wander, do pretty much whatever my heart wanted, so long as the golden rule was don't get in trouble. Right. Uh, don't make them call me at work to come home and get you. So, uh, you know, I, I wandered a bunch. I, like most people I know, I love skateboards. I love wandering around. I loved like punk music. I loved all of that stuff. And I think that is like an early connection to me, uh, of okay. like seeing like tattoos and seeing piercings mm-hmm. in in a modern context. You know, like something that wasn't in a magazine or something that wasn't, you know, like celebrating like an old tradition or like National Geographic. You know, it was like real life. I was (laughs) seeing people with like nose rings and I was like, fuck, man, that's super cool. Man, that's awesome. Like, fuck, man, like I wish, like, how do you even do that? Like, does it hurt? Like, like, you know, I was a teenager with with a ton of questions, not a whole lot of answers (laughs) uh, and a whole lot of zero supervision. So it wasn't, (laughs) so it wasn't long before I was experimenting and finding out what those things were like. And it, it, it really quickly just took flame. Um, I think stretched ears and stuff like that was like really the first big thing that I was like, that I saw and was like, fuck, I have to do that. I have to have those. Like, I've really got to get those. That looks so cool. And, you know, once you start stretching, everything is a, at that point, everything's a plug. So you know, I, <laughs> I remember those days. I've got the same stories as everybody. Like, you know, walking around with Sharpies in your ear and trying to find things that are similar sized. And, you know, this was a little before, like, like even, uh, like being, before I discovered like BME and IM, you know, cause they had like that handy chart of like household right. items <laughs> and what their appropriate gauge size was. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, I wonder if that's still on the BME wiki. God, I hope so. I hope that's a thing that should survive. Like that's a thing that every studio should have like household <laughs> items and their gauge approximation like that, that should exist. It's important history. It, well, if nothing else, it, it definitely still like, uh, it'll connect the youth back to our youth. Like people will see it and be like, <laughs> damn, that'd be stupid to put a pen in your right. ear, but it's good to know that it's zero gauge. <laughs> like it's stupid, but good information. So that really, like, that's, that was my introduction was just seeing other people um, and just wondering and just having questions and lots of questions, mm-hmm. lots of free time and no supervision. You'll get real creative. You'll get real creative fast. Yeah, so. I was a free range child myself. It had some of the same experiences, not so much with seeing people in person. I've mostly lived in smaller areas. But definitely the unsupervised exploration. It's a, I, I think it's an ideal childhood. I think it really like being to to steal the term, being a free range kid. I think that's ideal. So how do you feel about that with your kids? Because I have a little one too. You know, <sighs> man. <laughs> wow. Well, um, it sounds weird when you put it the other way. <laughs> yes, it does. It. I feel like it was an ideal scenario for me, but I don't know that I would apply the same amount of freedom to, to my kids now. Uh, you know, they're young, they're, they're fun. They do want to experiment. 
um, it's my, I have two sets of kids. I have older kids and younger kids. You know, there's quite the age gap. Uh, and the first time around, it was like super nervous. You just didn't, you don't know shit. You, you make every wrong decision. Um, you know, you helicopter parent or you just don't do enough. Uh, I think having kids is a really early lesson in failing. Cause you're going to do everything <laughs> yeah. wrong. Absolutely. You just have to be okay with like, you're going to mess up. You're not going to make bottles, right? You're going you're to do every fucking thing wrong, regardless of how much information you have. Uh, and so now I try to give my kids the leeway. Like part of, part of moving to Oregon was to give my kids like a free range life. Uh, okay. before this, I lived in the Bay. Uh, I lived in Oakland and it's not really a place you want free range kids. You know, like it's, it's not free range child friendly. You add your exploration. You learned a lot about yourself. Walk me into how you started poking holes in people. Dated a girl I had met and she was super rad. She was just, she was like the quintessential punk rock girl. She was just, she was super rad. Everything cool and punk rock that you could do as a person. She nailed it. Like across the board. She was like ideal, (laughs) just like ideal for that. And it, it like, it's, a, it's amazing. She was like, stop stretching your ears with that shit. Like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't like, what, what are you doing? You imbecile. Uh, and she took me to, uh, Inferno for the first time, which is a piercing studio in Philadelphia. Uh, I met a few people there. I met Jim Weber was like one of the first people that I met there. Uh, really super rad. And this was like so many okay. years ago. Can you date yourself for me? Oh, uh, I'm 47 and this all happened, I would say right around 20. So, you know, like 27 years ago, this is, uh, everybody is familiar with the juggernaut that is infinite. Everybody is aware that it's, it's the studio Mm -hmm. on the Eastern seaboard and pretty much everywhere. It's a, it's a really good metric. Uh, and this predates that this was where he worked before he left the open infinite. So it's even pre that. Um, mm-hmm. and it was just like a super rad experience. I didn't get anything pierced by Jim, but my girlfriend did like a few times and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Uh, and I was just, I don't know. I was broke. I was like a younger kid and I didn't really have a bunch of money. Um, but she was like, sweet, you should get something pierced and I'll, I'll totally pay for it. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, what will I get pierced? Like, this is insane. <laughs> I can get pierced. And we went back and I got my labret pierced by uh, a gentleman named John Dombrowski. He's still a really super rad dude. I still know him. Like we, We're not super close anymore, but that's how time works sometimes. And I loved it. I still have that labret piercing. It's now you know stretched a good bit. Uh, I wear it with pride. It was like my, it was like my first professional piercing. Um, and I, I was super stoked on nice. it. it. I loved it. I still do. Uh, and through that studio, going back multiple times, I met a few people who have been like kind of critical to my life. You know, Jim, I met Mark Phillip Brown there, who was really just crucial at a certain point in my life. Uh, really super helpful, super, just amazing human being. Um, a few other people, uh, Jamie Schmitz, all people who are no longer really involved in the industry in any sort of way. And then Jim left, and uh, started Infinite, which was, I think it was uh, two blocks down the street, if I, you know, if I can remember the, the geography, which in hindsight is kind <laughs> of like the ultimate like of dick moves. Like, I'm going to leave where I work and I'm going to open a studio two blocks away. 
Uh, right. That happens at least once in every city. 100, uh, at least once. That's being <laughs> real conservative with the amount of times that it happens. But I was still going to Inferno because I liked everyone there. Infinite felt, it felt, it felt too cool for me. You know, like it was like super serious, super cool, really cutting edge, which is an amazing thing, but it just felt so like out of my league as like a younger person just being interested. So I continue to just go to Inferno. I really like the people that were there um, and continued to get pierced there. I met John Cobb there, got to talk to him a whole bunch of times, which was really super rad. I didn't know at the time that like I was talking to someone who was going to like give me bits and kernels of life that, you know, almost 30 years later are still pivotal to my thought process. And then after he left, I got a job at Inferno and I, I was there for about a year and a half or so, maybe two years for a good bit. I loved it. I started just watching every single thing that happened. Like I just needed to know how all of it happened. Uh, and around that time, <laughs> my then girlfriend, we were still, we were still off and on. She started to go get pierced at infinite, which I still was like, oh, man, that place is too cool for me. Like, it's just like, I feel that way today. Yeah. yeah I was just <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm not like, I'm not worthy of being in that space. And I went with her one time and she got pierced by Luis and Luis, like it was immediate. Like I, I, I fell in love with Luis. He was just. Uh, Luis Garcia, in case anyone cares about the details of it. Uh, and I fell in love with <laughs> yeah, Luis. Yeah. He, like, immediately everything he said was gospel, even if it was telling me that I was stupid and my shirt was too small. Like, and he did. He criticized me mercilessly for a long time, which I, I wholly deserved. I was just a jerk. <laughs> and all of that stuff just like kind of spiraled one thing into the next. And before you know it, I was just watching every piercing in every studio around town every place that would let me um, sometimes for the best, sometimes not for the best at all. Like, Hey, I'm doing this. Do you want to watch it? And it's like, I don't know that I should, but I'm definitely going to. And that just spiraled, <laughs> you know, one day at Inferno, it was like, Hey, watch this. And I was like, uh, okay. And then it would be, watch this. Why do you think this is watch this? Did you notice I did this? And like, I, I loved it. But I was like, God, there's so many fucking stupid questions to this job. I just want to love it. And it's like at that point that I realized like, oh, you're asking me to make sure I'm paying attention so that I'm better understanding. So when I'm doing customer work, I understand jewelry sizing. I understand what jewelry should go for what piercing. Like you're giving me this information to help me be more well-rounded. And from there, it just like, snowballed and before you know it i was there during my shifts i was there after my shifts i was running back and forth between studios and it just took off and just one day from there it was like here i am and i'm i'm piercing and before i knew it i was like holy shit like this is like this was just like a cool hobby that i thought was fun to look at and now this is like a job like like it it almost happens you know, I had a I had an apprentice tell me that it felt like their apprentice shit happened overnight. Like one day they were looking at piercings and they blinked and they were doing them. That's it kind of is what it feels like. You know, you're so in love and you're so engrossed that you you're just living and breathing every one of those moments. And before you know it, you're there. You know, it's like you're 
that feeling of it, immersion. It's, it's so weird. It's uh, like there's. It's really wonderful. I don't know very many other things that give me a feeling of just time being lost and passing and just like I look up and now I'm it's almost 20 years later and I'm still piercing and it's like like what like I remember sitting in the lobby like looking at two gauge lip plugs and being like that's so huge man I'll never get to that size like and it's like like I I almost <laughs> feel like I didn't I didn't live those years, you know, like it, it just happened so fast. It's kind of an amazing feeling to have something just like wash over you and just like, it's like a tide that just drags you with it, you know, and it's, it's kind of a humbling feeling mm -hmm. because there have been plenty of times where I, I loved piercing, but I hated clients or I love clients, but fuck, I hated piercing and I hated talking to other piercers. Or I hated the internet because it made me not like certain things that I thought were cool. But I think there was always the underlying love of the actual physical act that I don't think I've ever been able to shake. You know, and it's just the constant for it. Yeah, I understand that completely. I've, I've never met a piercer, but I've been a jeweler for almost 20 years. And the same feeling, both of the love-hate relationship as well as the immersion of the flow state is what I like to call it. I think it's definitely applicable in both cases in piercing and jewelry, which is something that you've experienced both sides of. So yeah, I'm, it's, I'm a, it's amazing. Like the industry is in some ways it's so different. And in some ways it's the exact same, you know, like it, it feels like some things have changed so much and some things are the exact same as they were 20 plus years ago. It doesn't feel any different, but it, it's, it's such an amazing feeling to still feel the same way that I felt about it, you know? And it's just like, it's, mm. I don't like when, like one of my pet peeves from years ago that still seems to bother me today, because clearly I'm talking about it is when people will put their like such and such piercer on Instagram. And it's like, God, you're so much more than just a piercer. I want to put like Trevor, piercer, jewelry, tomato connoisseur, like like all the things I love. Like why do I just have to like limit myself to like I do a job, like I do the thing that I love. Like why can't I be all of those things? You know, and I think that really is what fuels my desire to do other parts mm -hmm. of it. Like, like I want to make jewelry, you know, like I don't want to not make it because sometimes I have a urge to use a piece that I love that I think would look cool and then I ask somebody like who makes this no one makes that it's like shit someone should and it's like you should shit I guess maybe I should and I feel like it's just kind of the thing you love every step of it and I feel like sometimes that feeds you to go in another direction with it like I don't love piercing less I just love a little portion of it differently right now I think that's how it like really fuels the desire to make jewelry, to want to learn it. Like I love librettes. I love stretched ears. I always have. And when someone was like, Oh, you make those, you can do it this way. It was like someone turned a light on. I was like, I get it that someone made them, but Holy shit, you make them. That's crazy. I need to see this. And then it's like, <laughs> you know, maybe it's ADHD. Maybe it's just super hyper fixation, but once I see something that's cool, I need to learn it. You know, like I, I just have to know how you did it. You know, like whatever it right may there be, with you. like I, yep. certain things just catch my eye and I just, I throw myself into it. 
and it's not enough to know like the cursory version of it. Like I need to be neck deep in it and I need to spend way too much money on all the machinery that comes along with it before I realize if I love it or hate it and then be like, Oh, you're speaking my language. I I feel like for most of us, it's, you know, like it's a, it's, it's a very transferable thought process, you know, like guys who like do uh, 3d modeling and printing. It's like, this is kind of cool. And then next thing you know, they have a dedicated part of their house where it's like, this is where everything's at. This is everything. And you're like, damn, dude, like you're really deep. And I think about <laughs> it like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. I have that shit, too. But it's nice. It is. Like, nice. like I continue to chase my dreams. Like when I have a dream, I get to chase it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like I'm 47 and I have to stop chasing after loves and like dreams. Like you get to keep chasing them if you want. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah, win so right like there. It feels good to be able to like want to do that and not have anybody say why don't you grow up and stop chasing those dreams like no one's ever told me to do that yeah like it it it, it's a huge middle finger to anyone telling me to stop doing those things so i mean and maybe that loops back to like my free range kids like i want them to do the things Mm -hmm. that they love and even if it's a little bit funky or a little bit weird like my son is you know he just turned seven and he's like dad can i paint it nails I'm from an era of time where being a black kid with painted nails was just not okay. Like, it, like that's how I was raised and, and socialized. And, you know, like people would look mm-hmm. at that and be like, the two terms that I heard most in my childhood growing up and being slightly weird um, is that's real white people shit or, um, or, or that's real gay. And like both of those things are so derogatory and just like so demeaning but they were things that were like, really like I'm a poor black kid from like a a relatively poor suburb. Uh, And like, those were things that we were told like growing up, like don't, don't ride skateboards. That's white kid shit. Don't listen to punk rock music. That's white kid shit. Don't get tattoos and piercings. That's white kid shit. And now, I mean, culturally look at how that, you know, like I'm going to go back to piercing. I really do miss it. I do love it. I started working at a studio in San Francisco and it felt good. It felt good to be piercing people. It felt good to be interacting with people. Like it just was magic. I fucking loved it again. Did the feeling come back? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah. The very first day, the very first piercing, it was magic again. Like I was in love with it. Like it, just in love, head over heels. Um, and I did it for a while, and I liked it. And like, I like joked about like how I had learned to make stone plugs and how. I made to like I learned how to make librettes like because I wanted to make jewelry for myself and I wanted to make jewelry that I liked and I wanted to cut stones that mm-hmm. we had as specimens and in display cases um, and I you know like I'd lost so much shit like I wanted to make stuff for myself uh, and I was like fuck man I should maybe like just make jewelry like see if anybody wants to like buy cheap rings like do you want to buy seam rings do you want to buy like cheap basics like I can make them out of my garage and you know like mm-hmm. make a couple extra bucks. Uh, and someone like at that point kind of like joked and were like, start a company, just start a little company. I was like, dude, I've been piercing for like a solid two weeks. Like start (laughs) with what? Like, do you not remember? I just was working at fucking whole foods, making minimum wage. Do you not remember that? Like what fucking money do I have? Um, and they were like, dude, like get a GoFundMe. Like people GoFundMe shit all the time. That's miscellaneous. And I laughed and was like, that's stupid. No, why? No. Why would anyone fucking contribute? Like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Um, and I like just shelved the idea and just would make some seam rings here and there or make like a threaded end or a threadless end just miscellaneously for somebody. Um, 
And then after a while, I was like, this isn't a bad idea. Like, maybe I can make jewelry. Maybe I can really do it. Maybe I really can. Uh, and I kind of floated the idea to another friend and was like, would you buy jewelry if I made jewelry? And they're like, yeah, of course I would. Like you were making, you guys were making jewelry at Braindrops and we loved it. Like we liked it. We, of course we would buy it. And I was like, no, like for real, like this is kind of like a big chance. Like, like, I don't know that I have any more gambles left in me. So if I try it and it doesn't do anything, like I'm done, like fuck all this shit, you know? And they were like, why don't you start a GoFundMe? And I was like, if one more motherfucker tells me, if one more fucking person tells me start a GoFundMe, <laughs> like, like I'm going to lose my shit. Like, I'm going to like, don't fucking say that to me again. Like, do not fucking say it to me. Like, no one's going to give me money to just start a business. Who fucking does that? Um, and then like three weeks later, I got a message from someone who I knew, like that is also like an old piercer, like an old mentor, someone that I really fucking looked up to. And they were like, Start a GoFundMe, jackass. I know you don't want to do it. <laughs> I, I've already talked to some. I've already talked to this person. They told me they told you to do it, and you told them no. I am telling you, start the fucking GoFundMe, you moron. And it's like, mm-hmm. even if nothing else, you'll make a thousand. You'll get a thousand dollars, and you can start buying little things, and then you can sell a thing, and then buy the next little thing. At least you'll have the start of something. And I was like. Yeah, but like, man, I'm bad at a business. Like, I've already, like, what do I need a business for? Didn't you just see me lose fucking a million dollars? I lost a million fucking dollars. Like, who do you know that's lost a fucking million dollars and thought, you know what I should do? Start a business. That's not a fucking rational thought. Like, no. Like, don't give me a business. Like, you're an idiot if you give me a business after I've just lost this one. And they were like, yeah, but you don't have any employees. It's just you. Like, the only person that's going to fail is you. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't fucking have the heart for it. I just don't have the heart for it. So I slept on it for a few more months, continuing to like toy around with things and make little things for myself. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to fucking do it. Like, like no one cares, but fuck it. I'm going to do it. You know? And I like half-ass made it and I like half-ass put it up. And someone was like, they like reached out and sent me a message and like, dude, I'm going to put money in your GoFundMe. I was like, Really? They're like, yeah, man. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, man. You're, you're a solid human being. Like you have your ups and downs. You're not always likable, but fuck man. I, you know, like, why not? Everyone deserves a chance. And I was like, like, I mean, thanks. Like, you know, like, and I think the first donation was like 20 bucks, but the first $20 made me think like, right. holy shit, maybe some, maybe this might work. It was $20 more than yeah. I had. So I was like, fuck man. That's like, that's woo. I came up like, like called a friend. I was like, I got 20 fucking dollars. Like what? Oh yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Like I was stoked. Like I was like, it was like, you handed, like you rubbed my back and like gave me my favorite candy bar and told me I was a pretty boy. Like, like I was over the fucking moon for $20. Um, yeah. I remember watching it happen. And like slowly, like just more money started coming in and people were like, Hey man, you're doing like a big thing. This is important. And I was like, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's important, but it's a thing. And they're like, well, like, think about like what you are and think about what you're doing. I'm like, why? Well, like, I don't like, I'm Trevor. Like I get it. And they're like, do you know there are no black body jewelry companies? Like nobody black owns one of those. Like there ain't even no black people in the higher ups of it. And I was like, that can't be true. And it's like, whenever I hear a story of like the first black man to do a thing, 
I'm like, it is 2020. How are you still the first black man to do anything? How are you the first to do a thing? How, that can't be true. And I was like, that, no one gives a shit about that. And someone was like, look into it. I'm pretty sure you'll be the very first one. And I was like, I don't even know that I want that kind of responsibility. Like, I'm, I'm kind of a jerk at times. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Mm, yeah, that, that got happy quick. Yeah, like, it? It, like, like a thing that I just wanted to make some jewelry and I just wanted to like, like peter around and make shit like really turned into a thing. And like for years, I made a point to never point out that Brain Drops was a black owned business. I made it a point to never because I felt like it felt like pandering. I didn't think like it was, mm. I wasn't being prideful. I was just like, like, look, look at me. Give me credit. I'm black. That's understandable. And it's like, like that just feels like a really low bar. It feels really cheap to me. And I didn't want, and I didn't want charity. I didn't want people to think like, Oof. well, this is like, let's give Trevor reparations. Like, I didn't want that, you know, like, like I, I didn't want people donating as like uh, I feel bad that black people ain't got shit. Like I didn't want it to be that. So I was really super hesitant, like to even embrace it. Um, and someone was like, you're stupid. Like you're a black man. Like when you go somewhere, people see you and you're black. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not like you're pretty high. unavoidable. You don't have to be reminded. Yeah. The minute you move here, it's like, yeah, yeah. And it was like, like, does it matter? Does anyone care that like I'm black and that I'm doing this thing? Like, it, like, does it matter? And they're like, well, it depends on how you do it. Like, what do you want to change? What do you want to be different? I was like, well, I feel like I want to belong. I want to feel like there's a place for me. I want to feel like I'm represented. I want to feel like I see myself places. Mm -hmm. But those are all things that I've always wanted in the industry anyway. And there's already precious few of us. And I've always been kind of vocal about like, edit this out if you'd like. Okay, bring it. When I first went to my first interview at Braindrops, Paul sat down with me and he was like, you know, I don't know any other black piercers, right? And I was like, so? And he was like, no, I just want you to think about that. Like, think about what I'm telling you. I don't know other black piercers. I've been here a long time. In a big city. I don't know any other who are currently working. I'm sure there's some, but I don't know any. Don't you feel like the industry is a little white to you? Yeah. And like... Paul, who was a very proud, proud Asian man, was telling me this thing and like I wasn't ready to hear it. It was too big of a thing for me. Like I just always thought I'm a piercer. I do a thing and like people are always like, oh, I don't know any black piercers and I shrug it off and just go back to work. Uh, and Paul put that in my brain and I just was like, I brushed it off even then. You know, and he was like, no, man, think about it. Like this is a thing. Like there's enough people who look like that guy and that guy and that girl. There's no one who looks like you. And there's yeah. not very many people who look like me, like us doing this thing is important, you know? And it just like, I, even in that moment, I brushed it off, you know, like I, I didn't want it to be the defining characteristic of my identity. Sure. I've been black a long time, you know, it's not like a new, it's not a new development. I didn't like wake up and go, fuck this shit. Don't wash off. Um, I've been black a hot fucking minute. You know, and I, it's never like I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of what I've accomplished as a human being. I'm proud of what I've done as a person. I'm proud that I have, and I don't give a shit who shits on it. I have a tool, two tools with Metal Mafia that they write me a check every fucking month for. And everyone can call them a shit company. Everyone can say they suck. Everyone can say everything about them is sub-fucking-par. But that microdermal tool, 
I gave it away to Anatta Metal and they didn't want it. Didn't want it. I said, just like, maybe name it after me. I don't give a shit. Like, I don't even want any money from it. I just think it's a cool idea and it should be out there. And they were like, nah, we're, we're not really a tool company. We're not into that. We don't, we don't give a shit. I gave it away to industrial strength needles. They didn't want it. We're going to do our own thing. We're not really interested. I don't want any money. I just want to see it made. Like, it would be cool to have my name on a thing with an advertisement. Like, I could show it to my mom. They didn't want it either. Metal Mafia was like, we'll make the tool. And we'll cut you a check for it every single month that it sells. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I make these in my basement. Why would you give me money for this? Like, it's not a big deal. Like, mm -hmm. get yourself a grinder, get yourself some Dremel wheels, and make a fucking tool that works for the way you work. Like, who would pay for this thing? It's been 10 years, and I still get checks for that fucking thing. Wow. So people can shit on them. People can shit on it. And I get why they do. But I also feel like they get a bad rap. I don't. I don't buy metal mafia jewelry. I don't use it. I don't have it. Um, Cause I don't, I also don't have a studio. I don't have a need for it, but it was a company that everyone said, if you want respect, change your policies. Well, they did. You want respect, get some implant grade titanium. They did. You want some respect, have a better polish. They worked on it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just almost like it's fun to kick down, you know, like someone who you're never going to allow in the game, just keep kicking them. Cause you're going to keep moving the fucking bar anyway. They're never going to make it in because you're going to always yeah. shame them for being who they are or who they were. Are we talking about this from the piercer's perspective or from the perspective of the other businesses in the industry, all of the above? Take your pick, both. It applies to both. Um, and now I'm going to draw that to a line of what it feels like to be a person of color in this industry. You can try your best, but you're still a black piercer. You can try your best and you still work in a low-end street shop. You can try your absolute best and step your game up and start buying like Invictus jewelry, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's dirt. No one likes it. They say it's not great. It's not good quality. But if you're in like a low-end street shop, it's your introduction into gold jewelry. It'll get you your first few pieces. It'll get you a bigger account at a bigger vendor. And there's a lot of fucking hurdles to get accepted in the industry. You know, it's hard. And no matter what you do, sometimes they're not going to let you in. It's an old boys club. Not only is it an old boys club, it's an old white boys club. And if they don't want to let you in, they're not going to let you in. They're going to move the bar constantly. You know, and I know a lot of people who will disagree with that statement, but I'm telling you, that's my lived experience. That's par for the course for the kind of racism that we have here in America, that that same mentality is applied to all different facets of society. All of it. So... Um, I may not buy through Metal Mafia. I may not use their jewelry, but they absolutely gave me a chance to do a thing that still has impact. And a lot of people can bullshit and they can lie and say they'd never support it, but I've never missed a month of getting checks for those tools. So somebody's fucking yeah. buying them. Right. <laughs> I don't know who because they don't tell me. And a lot of people will be like, I would never support that shit. But I keep getting checks. So somebody's using them. Somebody appreciates it. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, and that's, that is what it is. I don't give a shit. Buy them, use them, don't use them. I've made my mark. I've given something back to the industry that the industry didn't even want from me for free. No one wanted it for fucking free. And, that's a, and for me, that's a point of pride. I'm proud of that. There are plenty of piercers who will look at something and be like, yeah, but it's Metal Mafia. My challenge to them is, what did you, what did you put into the industry? Yeah. Besides your yeah. social I mean, media. that's a fair question. What did you contribute? If your answer is nothing, I don't give a fuck about your opinion. 
you've taken and you've never put back into the pot. So I don't give a shit about your opinion. If you're a maker and you make something, I respect you because you make something. You put yourself out there. If you just do the thing, we all do the thing. There's nothing special about that. Even if you're great. You touched on some really important stuff about underrepresentation in the industry. And that's really interesting. And something that I've thought about for a long time, being a, a white kid from the East Coast, I grew up reading National Geographic as, you know, yeah, many did. Most of us. Most right. Of us. And, you know, there's some value in that, but there was also a lot of, gosh, how do I say this? It was, it was voyeuristic in a lot of ways. It was not often respectful. It was sometimes very stereotypical, savage-related language. You, you know what I mean? And so... 100%. There, there's, not a single episode, there's not a single issue to my knowledge of National Geographic with white women titties in it. That's really fascinating. There's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of native black titties in it. Yeah, absolutely. But, and that's, you can call that whatever you want. National Geographic is a paragon, but that feels real fucking racist. Because there's a whole lot of people who are topless. There's a whole lot of people in different parts of the world that are varying shades of brown, almost to white. But those white titties don't ever make it into National Geographic. So you've just said that. And meanwhile, the majority of our industry is white. Arguably, the majority of our customers are white. And the majority of the things that we're doing to ourselves come from other places. Absolutely. So with that in mind, and this huge, I guess we can call it a cultural imbalance in our industry, I'm really interested to know from people like yourself what we can do to make it a more open place for, you know, black, indigenous, people of color. You have to make space for them. You know, um, I, I will say the good thing about POCs in America and essentially all over the world is we're really good at making do with the bare minimum. You give us a little bit and we'll make something amazing. You give us, you give us the shit end of a pig and we're going to make soul food. You give us nothing but a fucking kettle. We're going to make fucking banging ass kettle drum music. We're going to make Calypso. We're going to move the world with the bare fucking minimum. So you don't have to give us a space, but it won't be long before you're asking for a space in our space. That's so exciting. To you know me. what I mean? Like, you don't have to let us in. You can keep us out. You can even say that you don't want to support it or that, you know, like I, like, I, I feel like, you know, fuck it. I'm far enough into it and I can just kind of say whatever and feel like how I feel about it. Um, I remember a very large jewelry company saying, man, there's just no black jewelers out there. We'd love to hire some. Well, I've been buying jewelry from you for fucking years and I'm a jeweler. You never offered me a fucking job, but I knew plenty of white piercers that you gave jobs to, but you ain't never offered me one. And they can feel any way they fucking want to feel about that. I'm still, I, I still consider myself friends, mm -hmm. friends with those people. Um, so when they make a statement, like we'd love to do something to reach out to the black community. When, when, when did you want to do that? Like you're doing it now, but it feels real fucking performative. And I'm not trying to be bitter. I'm not trying to be angry mm -hmm. because I have my place. I'm happy. If I retire from piercing tomorrow, I've done enough. I've pierced enough clients. I've made great memories. I've shaken hands with people that I respect. I've pierced people's kids who now have an experience 
with a black man who they maybe have never had before, but now I'm a loved member of their family because I've pierced their child and showed them love and care. So I'm making waves and I don't give a shit if no one else sees it because I'm doing it for me. And I think the industry would be real fucking smart to start hiring some of their staff from people who come in. Don't just, don't just hire the guy that just looks like you. Don't hire a guy who comes in and he can afford all the fanciest gold jewelry that you have. Hire somebody who maybe can't. Hire people in your neighborhood. If you have a studio in a major city, you've got black clients. And if you don't have black clients, why? Why? If you have a studio in a major city and you have black clients, but you ain't got no black staff, what the fuck are you doing? Right, yeah. I hired someone for Braindrops who was a client who came in that I just liked their energy. Do you want a job? You seem really fucking cool. The most important part is the person. 100%. And they already love the thing that you're doing. That's why they're fucking there. You're not walking down the street and randomly grabbing someone and being like, do you want a job? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are people who come into your place of work, love what you do, give you their hard-earned money, offer them a fucking job. Ask them if they're interested. Hey, would you like to be a piercer someday? Have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And then if they do, don't make them a piercer immediately, but fuck, mentor them, take them in, like talk to them, share some of the information, gauge if there's really an interest. And then you can bring those people in. The minimum of reaching out, and if there is interest, I mean, you could even just share resources with them. The bare fucking minimum. Right, you know? The bare fucking minimum. You know, I'm saying it now, and it might be a long time to come to fruition. Or, you know, no, I take it back. It's not going to fucking be a long time. Ten is doing an amazing job. Shout out to Ten. I love you. You're amazing. I see everything that you're doing. I follow it. I love it. You are amazing. You are currently my fucking hero. Ten owns a studio. He's a black man in Florida. He's doing a fucking bang-up job. He's crushing it. People know him. People respect him. He didn't ask. He didn't beg. He didn't say, can please someone hire me? He said, you ain't going to give me a job. You ain't going to give me a shot. I'm going to open a shop. And I'm going to make waves. And he is. Mm -hmm. And that's a sentiment that's going to keep happening. And sooner than later, it's going to be a thing. And if you were on the wrong side of that, or you weren't as helpful, or you didn't reach out, and I don't mean in a token-ass way either, because I can name a few people that I can think of who I feel like your whole staff is just a token reach out. But if you got a token staff, you know you do. If you talk to your black staff differently than you talk to the rest of your staff, I fucking see you. We all talk about you. We know who the fuck you are. It's not going under the radar. We aren't missing it. We fucking know. And if you don't make a space, that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, we made soul food out of chitlins. You know, we made we, we make rap out of scratched up records and beatboxing. We make shit that moves the fucking world. Look up popular culture, and if you don't think that's tied... You're people absolutely of color right. are lying to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. We do a thing. We add. We might not come with the best ingredients, but we add the best flavors. Speaking of ingredients and flavors and, and good things, let's talk about the things that you make. Oh, yeah, please let's. <laughs> that's a good thing. You're a jeweler. You make tiny things. Yeah, I'm a jeweler. Uh, air quotes. Uh, you know, some people like what I make. Some people don't. Uh, and that's okay, because there's something for everybody. If it's not polarizing, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, And I deliberately don't make jewelry for everybody. By design, I don't make it for everybody. If you love what I do, then that's great. If you don't, that's also great. Like, no hard feelings. 
if you don't want to support me because you feel like I'm pandering or whatever, like that's okay. That's okay. That's cool. I'm just going to, mm-hmm. I like making jewelry. I'm going to keep making it until it doesn't make me happy anymore. You know, and I love it. I love the openness and the freedom that I have found in the jewelry making community that I don't know that I initially found in the piercing community, you know, yourself included. You, I, I can ask you a thousand questions about ridiculous shit that I'm sure that you've answered a hundred fucking times, but you've never once been like, God, Trevor, I don't want to fucking talk about that. Like Jesus, like send me a hundred dollars and I'll make you a video. You're just like, this is what I do, man. This is how I do it. I do this. I do this. And I do this. Try it a few times and see if it works for you. Like you've never, you've never once shunned giving me information for free. And I, I owe you a lot for that. Thank you. You're very welcome. That's something that is is more recent for me. When I first started making jewelry, I had a much bigger ego, I guess we can say, than I do now. And I was very protective of, of um, you know, little trade secret things and, and new ideas. This is something that we actually talked about in Alan's yeah. episode. But I came to the conclusion that sharing that stuff just makes us all better. And if all I've got going for me is that little shit up my sleeve, then maybe I don't really have that much going for me. Yeah. A rising tide lifts all ships. You know, if you make the game better for everybody, everybody gets better. And I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned Alan because Alan is 100% another person who has never once not answered a question. Alan has gone so far as to say, give me 10 minutes. I'm just going to make a little video of how I do this thing. And I'm just going to send it to you. Like, cause you maybe need to see it rather than hear it. Alan is an open book. Alan is a paragon of a human being. He's amazing. I, I will say that like most people who learn to make jewelry for this industry, I definitely suffered from the, I want to be Alan, but there's already an Alan. There's already an Alan and he's amazing at it. So everybody else who wants to be Alan right now, I see you. That's great. Fantastic. You're learning the skills. Be who you are. Yeah. Y'all got to step it up. Yeah, there's already an Alan. You're never you're never going to be Alan because he's he's currently real busy being Alan. Uh, and every time he does something new and inventive, I see that shit. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I don't even do things the way you do them. But fuck, I want to do that thing. <laughs> like, damn it. I want to throw out what I'm doing to do the thing you're doing because it looks so rad. Mm-hmm. And it's just Alan doing what comes naturally. He does the thing that his brain sees. And piercing used to be really individualistic. You used to like, make shit cool with a circular barbell. Like we all had just the basics of jewelry, but where you put it, how you were and what you did with it is what defined you. And it's the same for making jewelry. We've all got gold, silver, niobium. We've all got the same materials, but now's your chance to do it differently. Make the jewelry that you want to wear, make the jewelry that you would like to see in clients. Cause that's what I'm doing. I'm just making shit that I think is cool. And if someone else likes it, that's rad. I see a lot of chains in your work. I see a lot of things that are dangling, a lot of movement, a lot of light play. Thank you, Pupil Hall. We love you, Pupil Hall. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. You, Pupil Hall, changed the game. We love you. You did a thing, and I was just like, it gave me very 80s, like, nostril chain feel. It gave me, like, chain from nostril to ear. It gave me all of those feelings again. And I was like, fuck, man, why did we let this go? Why did we stop doing this? Like, that's fucking great. Um, and so 100%, I made seam rings with like beaded chains. And I was like, there's a pupil hall already. This exists. <laughs> like, what do I wish pupil hall would make? Well, now I make that. Like, I don't, 
I'm not repeating something, but yeah. thank you for making a thing that reminded me that I loved a thing. And now I just want to make things like that, that are mine. You know, like we all, we all borrow, all artists steal. We all take, um, one of my favorite artists to date is a graffiti artist, uh, Steve Powers. If you don't know who Steve Powers is, he writes under the name of Espo. He's a fantastic artist. He's a great sign painter. He's a real fucking smart human being. Uh, his famous quote is everybody sucks until someone says you don't until someone else says you're good. You suck. And at that point, steal everything. No one's going to blame you for stealing literally everything because you suck and you don't know any better steal away. But the minute one person tells you you're great, you got to stop stealing and you got to start creating your own shit. Mm, I like that. So I invite everybody steal anything. If I make it and you like it, steal it. But after you've made a bunch of them and you understand how it works, now you have to make it better. Make a new one. Steal away. It's all out there. Right. We make prong setting jewelry. How long has a solitaire setting been around? No one's mad that someone else is making a prong set. No one's like, you jock my prong set. You jock my solitaire. Like, no, it's a thing. It exists. You can't steal it. It's a thing. You know, so I love it. I love making jewelry. I love the individuality. I love melting things and seeing the shapes that they take and being like, this would be great. <laughs> I can make this. Sometimes it's just the fun of doing something and sometimes even messing it up and being like, ah, oh, I fucking hate this. And someone else being like, I love that. It's always really satisfying when that happens. Some of my better projects have been total improvisation because some shit went south and it ended up working out so in my favor. <laughs> You've already invested too much time in the piece to just throw it in the mm -hmm. pile. Yeah. You might as well finish it and see where it goes, you know, and that's a thing like that works, you know, and I think there are enough jewelers out there who are making things that are really amazing. And I'm really excited to see what other people are doing and what they're creating and not for nothing. I really feel like that creativity is in every studio. It's there. You have jewelry consultants, you have people curating ears, you have people doing these things, you have people designing. Michael Knight, I love you. You're an amazing human being. We don't talk nearly as much as we should. I'm sorry. I wish I was a better friend. You're amazing. Um, he had an idea that, to my knowledge, never came to fruition. If you designed a piece, he wasn't going to name it after you. If it sold, he was going to give you a commission from it. You sent him this design for a piece. It's fucking selling like hotcakes. He's going to write you a check for it every time it sells. That's dope. I don't know what, like, what happened or how it didn't happen or whatever, but he put that seed in my brain. And I was like, there are countless pieces that other big vendors named after people who designed them. That person designed that piece, but that company still sells them. And that person don't get shit. They did the design work. If you're if you're an artist and you submit the CAD design, don't you get paid for the CAD design? Can't you work out a deal if you're selling and doing artwork to get like some sort of royalty from that? Like if you're a jewelry designer, I know plenty of people who have jewelry companies who aren't jewelry makers but are jewelry designers. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I'm not mad at that. That's fucking fantastic. You still have an eye for creating things. But you get paid for it. Sure. Why can't the other people who are designing pieces be paid for the pieces that they design that are really hot sellers? These are arguably the people that are right in the mix of knowing what those hot sellers are going to be and what's on trend and how to install them and all of the other things that make piercers the perfect people to be handling some of their basic jewelry needs. 
why 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 does not every studio that has the capability not have a working relationship with a jeweler in their city to have unique pieces at minimum yeah yeah to do repairs why would you send a piece of jewelry back to get a pin repaired that's a six month repair it's a 10 second repair why would you wait six months why would you make your clients give you five hundred dollars for a piece of jewelry and then when something goes wrong with it you tell them i'll take it back and they'll fix it for free but now if you want to wear something in your piercing, you have to give us $500 more. Why would you not give them a discount on a piece of jewelry that's a short-term piece while you send it to your local jeweler to have it repaired and get it back to that person in two weeks? So what we're talking about here is a decentralization of, of the industry. Um, <laughs> we want cryptocurrency. We want everything else decentralized. Why don't we want fucking jewelry decentralized? Right. I love the big three. I'm not going to shit on the big three or the big four, however many there are. I don't even really have a count. I just made up three as a number. Um, so anybody who feels left out, I'm really sorry. I don't have a bad relationship with the big vendors who create things that I don't make and won't make or can't make. Uh, and some of those vendors are amazing to small makers. Some of them help small makers in a big way that maybe they're not getting credit for. And, you know, like I'm not going to say anything because I don't know if they want me telling that they help. Like, I don't want to, like, put people on front street and then I'd be like, you asshole, why would you tell? Um, but a lot, there are some vendors out there who are doing things for small makers. That's fantastic to hear. That are making it real nice for us. That are making it so that we don't have to do those things. Uh, if you're a small maker and you make threadless jewelry, mm-hmm. where do your pins come from? Who machines them? Where do they come from? Do you do them in steel? Do you do them in titanium? Who makes them? You don't make them. You ain't got a lathe. And even if you did have a lathe, you probably can't. If you do have a lathe, you're probably doing something else with it because a lathe is a lot of fucking money. Mm-hmm. So small vendors who have those items, we know where we're getting them. We owe a lot to big vendors. We're not, I'm not shitting on them. You know, they're still helping small makers out. They could easily box us all out and be like, we're not going to help you. Figure it out. Yeah, for sure. So we do owe them still something. You know, even if it's just the gratitude of helping us becomes, you know, what we want to be. Um, Our industry wouldn't be where it is today without, you know, the, these larger companies that you're talking about and the way that they've helped us to make piercing more mainstream and everything. But there does seem to be this undercurrent. Um, you know, I hear it from smaller companies, but I also hear it more and more from piercers, which is really interesting that they're tired of being reliant. 100% on people that they can't see, uh, you know, making things with huge weights um, and, and trying to run a business, you know, having stock on hand and people walking in the door with a, a six plus month wait. I can totally yeah. understand the frustration. And I think we should see a lot more of exactly what we're talking about right now, which is this decentralization and this growing interest in picking up the other side of you know what what piercers are already doing they have the knowledge of where it goes they have the knowledge of how it fits so does the support staff there there are i would argue that there are support staff people in our industry with more working knowledge of jewelry than some piercers who absolutely would agree with that yeah you know so let's not discount them why can't they be the jewelry designer why can't why can't you know like um a studio that's doing really well say hey you know what? We see that you got an eye for this. There's a local jeweler teaching classes. Do you want to take some classes? We'll pay for you to learn how to make jump rings. We'll learn how to 
you you can learn to make seam rings. You can supply them in-house. And then that's a short step to making fixed bead rings, um, fixed gem rings. It's a short step to making uh, hammered disc. Like, I love, I love certain people's shit, but a hammered disc, I, <laughs> why the fuck would I wait six months for a hammered disc? Like, I don't give a shit what you, unless you have some, like, hammering texture that is, like, of the gods, and no one does. It's hammered texture. You should see my 1,000 grit sandblast. It's pretty fly. I learned a trick, and I'm just going to put it out there, and I don't give a shit. Feel free to use it. Feel free, because I learned it from somebody else. If you've got a rolling mill, and you've got some gold sheet, gold scrap. You got a texture machine. Get yourself a piece of sandpaper. Mm-hmm. Put that shit in the rolling mill with your gold. You got a texture machine. Yeah, absolutely. You waves. You can make dimples. You can make unique striations. Like, the world is your fucking oyster. Play with textures. Put something in the universe that no one else thought to put on a disc. And that should have sold like hot fucking cakes. Do something different because we're all super excited to see it. Yeah, I want to see it. I, I'm excited. I'm excited about seeing it. Sometimes I'll tell people how to do something just because I want to see what they're going to do with the information. I dig that. Yeah. Hmm? Like, I'll tell you all the tricks. Just make something different. How's business been? Good. I, I, I don't want to say, like, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not fitting to retire any fucking time soon. <laughs> um, uh, there is consideration about going to jewelry making full time. Like I'm starting to think about it. That's awesome. Currently I make jewelry two days a week mm-hmm. uh, because I work a full time job doing piercings. Like I'm busy and it's very hard to work a, an 11 hour piercing shift and come home to my very cold workspace and turn on the, uh, the heater and wait 30 minutes for it to get warm before I want to stay in there, yeah. you know, and then work for four more hours and then get up and go back to work. So I've, you know, relegated two days a week to solely making jewelry. That's all I do. I will be honest and say that direct sales directly to clients cut the line of wholesale sales. And I'm sorry, wholesale clients. I'm sorry. Um, But initially I started Black Lily to offer direct to clients, people who felt like they couldn't go into studios, felt like they weren't getting representation, thought like they couldn't get a fair deal, thought like they weren't being treated well. So I made a thing where you could be. Hmm. So I prioritize those sales. If you order two pieces of jewelry from me, your turnaround is probably faster than if you're a wholesale client who orders 40 pieces. Not that I don't value your 40 piece order. I absolutely fucking do. Thank you. I thank you. But that person who made the, the retail sale didn't feel like they could go into a studio. And I feel like I owe it to, to people to be able to have that access. I love that. I, I want people in places who they don't feel comfortable going in the studios and buying something because everybody talks to them like they're stupid or they make jokes about uh, you can pay full price for Jordans. You can pay full price for jewelry. And when, let me be very clear, when you use identifiers for what people are spending their money on, I know what the fuck you're talking about. You ain't say you can spend all your money on Tory Burch. You said Jordans. I know you're talking about black people. I know you're talking about people of color. You might not know it and it might've missed you, Mm -hmm. but I heard it. And so did every other black person who saw what you posted. We all heard it and we all read it. So you're not shitting on people who spend their money on Hermes stuff. You're not shitting on people who 
don't want to come in because they're spending their money on other designer luxury brands. You want to shit on the people who buy quote unquote iPhones and Jordans. I know who you're talking about. And if you don't understand that subtlety, then you should maybe throw that phrase out and not use it anymore. Yeah, this an unfortunate an unfortunate number of phrases like that is still in use. But I will say that once you know how the world works, if you don't move differently, you have to understand that I fuck with you differently. Once once your eyes have opened to some shit that isn't cool, if you just shrug and go, well, you know, that's how it's always been, then we're maybe not so cool after that point. It is such a minor thing to be yeah. like, huh, I didn't know that. And then keep doing the shit you were doing. Don't you know changes. Like that's real. Like it, it speaks volumes. It speaks more than when you put up a Black Lives Matter sign in your yard. That shit's an empty, that's an empty token and anyone can do that. Change your actions. Do things. Like I'm glad that. that we're talking about this because it plays really heavily into this conversation about the lack of cultural diversity in the industry and when this is really prevalent and when you do have so many people saying ignorant shit, that's really going to turn people off. 100%. Yeah, no one wants to come in. You, like, But the problem too is that I feel like a lot of businesses aren't affected. Like you, if you're already not getting the black dollar, you don't care. If you're not getting Latino dollars, you're getting white dollars. You don't care until you realize that black dollars and Latino dollars are a big market. But then I think a lot of people are scared to have black and Latino and POC clients. Will it scare off your other white clients? Mm, That's really interesting. Like, are you scared to lose the clientele that you have because you've invited different clientele in? And if you lose, if people no longer want to come to your studio because your clientele has slightly shifted, maybe you're better off without those clients in the first place. I'm kind of feeling that, but people are going to weigh morals versus money because that's how capitalism works. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that capitalism and by beautiful, I mean, it's fucking horrible. Um, but it's the system that we're all in. That's true. That's true. You know, you can't escape it. Let me check my list here. Funny story. Um, you're not good. Maybe you will remember it, but this is a thing that's pivotal for me and it has changed a lot of things for me. You and I had a conversation years ago. 10 plus years ago, easily at this point. And we argued and I argued with you foolishly and stupidly. I was very, I don't remember. I was very, very prideful in my moment. That's okay. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell the story because fuck it. It's really fucking funny. There was a thing and it was like, it centered around like Friday the 13th piercings, which I think are fucking asinine. I've always thought it was asinine. Uh, And someone had made a post about it. And your comment was, there's no good ethical way that you can do a $13 piercing. Someone's getting fucking ripped off. That is a true statement. Someone's getting ripped off. But your secondary statement was, and there's no way you're using quality jewelry. And I was like, I disagree. Because at the time, I worked in a street shop that wasn't fantastic. It was good. We were doing the best that we could. And we were using basics from um, Valhalla, which most people listening to this aren't going to remember. They're not old enough for Valhalla. But everything was 316 LVM. The polish was amazing. Uh, All the gemstones were like properly set, no foil backs. And like when you were buying them, you were probably getting them for $6. Yeah. um, For the basic, for a whole piece. So we were doing like once a year, $13 piercings. And I argued with you, like, no, you can do it. 
it's still unethical and somebody's not making enough money for what they're doing, but it's a possible thing to provide that service at that price point, but it's a shit business model that no one should have. And you were like, no, it just isn't fucking possible. And I was like, fucking fuck Jared. I'm never going to buy anything from that guy. He's an asshole. (laughs) And I would like to apologize because you were completely right. It is wildly, it's wildly unethical to do it. But the studio I was at, at the time, we were doing it knowing that we weren't making money doing it. Like we weren't getting any money out of it. Like the piercers were making like the tip money, but it was like, we, we were in a, we were in a low income neighborhood and we were offering services to people who could not afford them at full price with jewelry that we were just making enough money to cover it and make a few dollars. And when I tell you that every Friday the 13th, we saw a hundred plus clients who would never see the rest of the year. But on that one day, and we had a minimum, you had to get one at least maximum of three. And those people would come in and buy three piercings, $13 each. Yeah. Um, The store got its money for the jewelry. We made our tip money because we weren't making shit for the service. But it was really more of a give back yeah. than it was like a money grab. It also cleared out old stock stuff, uh, which was useful. But it's like a moment where like, I didn't like you, but I respected that you were like, nah, man, you're fucking wrong. I don't give a shit what you're saying. I am wholeheartedly telling you that shit's fucking unethical. And I was like doubling down. I was so angry with you. And I was like, I'm telling you, dude, I'm literally here. I'm, it's internally threaded. It's 316 LVM. It's mirror polished. We're doing everything that we can and we're doing it so clients can get a service. And you were like, I don't give a shit. There's no way it's right. And I was like, ah, just fucking hear me. Uh, and I think we were both young and really stubborn, you know? It was- right. So, you know, so hearing this story now, at the time, I probably didn't have the full context of, you know, where, where the studio was located and what was happening as a result of the sale. And I don't know that I bothered to explain it. I think I was just so angry sure. about like the argument of it. And I don't think I ever like really, like, I didn't reach out to you and say, hey, I disagree. Let me tell you why this thing happens. I was just like, how fucking dare you have an opinion and you don't know. <laughs> But it also made me respect you that you were somebody who was in the industry and adjacent to the industry and you were making a stand. I have a habit of doing that. something that you felt strongly about. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't like you. I respected the shit out of you despite not liking you for it. But like you made a stand and it really like to this day made me want to make sure I knew the ethics behind why I did a thing and if it really was a good choice. Well, I, I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm grateful for the chance to hear that story. <laughs> Thank you for spending this time with me. I really enjoyed this conversation and getting to know you better. Anybody who's listening to this, I'm not doing anything special. I'm not doing anything that you can't do. I'm not doing anything that's outside of your grasp. If you've ever went into a store and you thought, man, fuck, I would love this, but only if it looked a little bit like this. It can. You just have to make it. And if you liked it and you love the design, there's another person who also loves it and just hasn't seen it anywhere. So make it. 
You're not just making you happy. You're making someone else happy that you don't even fucking know. It's not magic. It's not sorcery. There's a thousand YouTube videos. There's a thousand makers. Text me, email me, put it out there. I'll answer your questions. I'll help you learn how to do a thing. The only thing that's stopping you is not taking the first step. Stop doing that. Take the first step. Do it. Branch out. You'll be miserable for a long time because it's going to run away from you and you're going you're gonna to chase being better. But fuck, you'll be so happy doing it. Like, take the chance. Every, every maker right now, there are too many of you to mention. Um, I love you all. Thank you. Anyone who's ever answered a message, anyone who's ever said they like something, everyone who ever liked a picture, anyone who's ever bought something, thank you so much. It means the world to me. It has fed my kids. It has put a roof over my house. I could not live my life without you. Thank you so much. I can only do what I do because you appreciate it. I do acknowledge that. I do appreciate that. Thank you. Trevor, thank you so much for the transparency, for the conversation. Where can we find more about you? Where can we buy your things? Where should we go to pay attention to what you're doing? And I'll include all of these things in the show notes. Please follow the Instagram. It's Black Lily Jewelry. Um, the Instagram is very up to date. Things tend to go to Instagram before they go to the website. Uh, there is also a website with a web store. It updates frequently. Everything that is in there is always for sale. Direct to sale things happen very quickly. Um, I try to turn them around. It's blacklily.net. It's not blacklily.com because the person who owns it wouldn't sell it to me, but I fucking tried. Please, please, please follow it. If you don't see something that you like, text me, send me a message, shoot me an email. I want to make your dreams come true just as much as I want to make mine come true. If I can make it, I will. If I can't make it, I'll refer you to someone who can make it. We all deserve really nice, fine things because we put up with shit from the world for too long. We deserve nice things, all of us. So thank you for the support. Please continue to support it. Um, tell me what you think. Tell me what you'd like to see differently. I'm going to do this forever as long until my hands don't work anymore. Are they sore yet? Uh, my thumb hurts real bad all the damn time. <laughs> my, my gemstone setting thumb hurts real fucking bad. Mm -hmm. But it's a good pain. Every time it hurts, I remember that someone got something that they like. And that's a, it's a fair trade. I'll take it. Love it. All right, Trevor. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thank you. I appreciate you giving me your time. To my listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to part one of my interview with Trevor Thomas from Black Lily Body Jewelry. There is a part two, which was taken from this initial interview and made its own mini episode, in large part because I didn't want it to be the primary takeaway of the entire recording. That segment is coming in a day or few. I just need to finish up the intro and outro stuff. Stay tuned in a handful of weeks for Sore Hands Club podcast episode three featuring Anne-Marie Hoffman of Glassheart in Eugene, Oregon. Thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.